You know, I, uh, not too long ago, I remember, um, I was just sort of thinking back on my mom and sort of some of the, some of the uh, wonderful things that she did for me as a kid. And I remember uh, around this time of year, I would be getting Christmas cards, or not too long ago, I would have gotten my birthday card from my grandparents. And they were really generous people. They lived out of state, but they, they often would send us, you know, really generous gifts. And um, I would get them, and I would be like, yes, this is great. Uh, you know, it was a check. It was money. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is great. I can get some toys. I can get whatever. And it took my mom sort of sitting down with me and saying, okay, this is very nice. Now, come sit down. What are we doing? This is called a thank you card. Okay? <laughs> this is called a, or, okay, let's go get the phone before you even think about what we're doing next with the money or the whatever it is they sent. We're going to call them up. Or we're, I, I just remember sitting down with her to write out a thank you note and her saying, okay, write, dear grandma and grandpa, okay, dear grandma and grandpa, now think of something nice you might want to use that money with, okay? <laughs> uh, I think I might use this to save some of it. And then she taught me line by line because it was never going to come to me naturally. I mean, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid or maybe teaching your own children about how to be thankful. You know, it just doesn't come naturally. And so you need people to sort of usher you through that process. Even if your heart isn't that thankful, they begin to teach you sort of the form <laughs> of thankfulness. Um, the same is true for us in our relationship with God. We don't naturally have thankful hearts, and so God has given us Psalm 111 to be our tutor, to be our teacher, to be our guide and friend so that we can learn how to have thankful hearts toward God. It's as if God has said, okay, great, you've got this gift of God's mercy, of God's grace, this relationship. Now, come sit with me. Dear God, thank you for the nice, okay, that's, that's what Psalm 11 is doing, something like that uh, for us today. And at Parkview, we long to be a whole church making whole disciples of Jesus. And Psalm 111 is indispensable for us if we're going to have the thankful hearts that, that will give evidence to all that Jesus has done for us. We need Psalm 111 to be whole disciples and to help one another and the world around us look more and more like Christ. So, Let's read Psalm 111. I'm going to read it to you. It says this. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. And it is good for us. And it can teach us today. I want you to hear that Psalm 111 is the example of a wise and authorized practitioner of thanksgiving, who shows us what thankfulness toward God could look like, should look like. And he offers us three lessons to help us learn how to become people of thanksgiving. 
First, we're going to see the prompt to thanksgiving in the first couple of verses. Then we'll see the pattern of thanksgiving that's laid out in the next half dozen or so. And then at the end, in the last few verses, we see the product of thanksgiving. What happens with our thanksgiving? But first, if we're going to learn any of this truly, we need to ask God to come and teach it to us. So will you pray with me? Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet in dark times. It teaches us to be wise in the world you created. It trains us to live righteously. Your word commands. It calls. It encourages. Help us to receive all of these things today, all that you intend for this word to do. Please, we ask, do it. Your word teaches us your character which we see most fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ, your Son. Help us today to see Jesus, to cherish him, to honor him. Above all, Lord God, honor your name among us as we work to obey your command to make disciples to the glory of Jesus from this passage. Amen. So, first, remember, three lessons. The prompt thanksgiving, the pattern, and the product. Uh, we see the prompt to thanksgiving in verses 1 and 2. It says this, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's a command. Uh, it, you might read, I know I, as I was reading through the different versions, there's one that says hallelujah. And that's because that's the word hallelujah, which means is an imperative verb, meaning give praise to, and yah, which is short for God. It means praise God, hallelujah, praise God. I never knew that actually, so it was good for me to learn. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation, and then begins. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. It's important as we begin here to remember what the Psalms were written for and why they were given to God's people. Often when we think of uh, studying and learning from the Bible, we think mainly in the context of sort of our individual lives, personal lives, personal study of the Bible, which is hard to overestimate the, the importance of. And yet, the Psalms were primarily given in the, in the context of a people, in the context of a people coming together and singing these, proclaiming them aloud to one another. And the Bible expects us to sort of encounter Psalm 111 in a context just like this, hearing the leader of worship or the leader come up to the front, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, they would say to all the people. It was a communal experience for them to read Psalm 111. So when you read Psalm 111 in that way, you see the first line, praise the Lord. It's a command. It's a call to worship. It's a, here's what we're doing now. At this point in the service, Psalm 111 is telling the people as they received this some thousands of years ago and all the way up to today, praise the Lord. And then the next line, the very next line says, I will give thanks. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Do you see what's happening there? The call to worship, praise the Lord, is immediately followed by a single solitary voice standing up and saying, I will do it. I'll do it. I will praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. It seems that the first line is sort of the setup for the rest of the psalm. What does it look like to praise the Lord? And a leader, a teacher, so to speak, in Psalm 111 stands up and says, let me show you what that looks like. I will give thanks to the Lord. I'll show you how you can do it in, in an authorized pattern of what it would look like for us to express praise to God through thanksgiving. I'll do it. Think of it this way. Uh, when a teacher uh, hands out an assignment to the class, 
um, a final project, let's say, so it's a big one. Okay, it's a biggie. You know, there are a lot of ways that a teacher can sort of explain what they're looking for th through this assignment, what the final product ought to look like. Um, they could write out a description. That's probably a given. Write out a description, hand it to them on the first day of class. They know what's coming at the end of the, of the semester or whatever. They could, in class, they could say, hey, don't forget, we've got a, an assignment coming up at the end. You know, we've got this final project. You're going to want to complete that, get working on it now. Are there any questions about that? They might take questions to explain what that's going to look like. They might make a grading rubric. Right? They might say, okay, so these are the four categories I'm going to be looking for. I want to see X, Y, Z, and this part is worth 10% of the grade, this part 20%. You'll have no surprises about what's coming. But probably the clearest that you could be about what you're looking for is to give them an example. Here's, here's a student in the past who got an A on this exam looked like this. Or here, I've prepared an example of this presentation. I'm going to give it to you in these five quick minutes so you can see exactly what I'm looking for. They give an example. Now, what they don't want you to do is say, great, okay, Alexander the Great and his wonderful conqueror of the whatevers. Let me write that down. Alexander the Great and the wonderful of the... That's plagiarism. <laughs> that's not what they want you to do. What they want you to do is take a look at the way that they did it and say, aha, now I know how to make it my own. Now I know how to express it in my own way, how to do my own study, my own consideration, and make something right. I've seen the authorized pattern, so to speak, and now I'm ready to learn from it and make it my own. And that, I believe, is what we have when we look at Psalm 111. It's meant to be our teacher as we live lives just like those so many years ago did, and they found specific reasons to give thanks to God. And so we have this pattern that shows us what that would actually look like. Um, but there's more to say about the prompt to thanksgiving. Notice also it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. With my whole heart. Uh, even in that second line, it's studied by all who delight in them. This is, it's wholehearted. It has to do with delight. It doesn't have to just to do with good words said at the proper time in the proper way. It has to do with our whole hearts becoming worshipful to God. Secondly, we see something important here in that first verse again. Where are we giving thanks in this psalm? In the company of the upright in the congregation. Um, Two different words, they, they have different meaning. They're not just using different words because that's good poetry or something, because you don't want to repeat this in the company of the congregation, in the congregation, it just wouldn't make sense. No, actually, the word company here describes a, a close-knit circle of friends. Uh, your closest confidants, the people you talk with the most, the people that you entrust your deepest feelings to, that you don't just put on Facebook or out, whatever. This is, it's the campfire late at night before you all turn in and go in your tents for the night when you're on vacation. It's around the kitchen table um, when you look at your friend and say, how are you really doing? That's the company of the upright. The congregation, meanwhile, uh, it's the broadest possible term for, for connectedness. Co the word here for congregation is the word that's used to describe the entire nation of Israel as they wander around in the desert trying to make it to the promised land, hundreds of thousands strong. So what is that trying to tell us there? In the company of the upright, all the way up to the congregation. We will give thanks to the Lord in every place, at every time. I'll give thanks to the Lord with my, my closest buddies here in our little Bible study, in our community group, with the people I trust the most. I'm going to share with them what I'm thankful about. 
all the way up to the biggest setting. I'm ready to give thanks to the Lord wherever God has placed me to, to give thanks to him. Put together, paraphrased, it might sound something like this. This prompt to worship is to thank God wholeheartedly, authentically, meaningfully, at the kitchen table with my dearest friends, thank, thanking God with the farthest flung fellow I still haven't laid eyes on and everyone in between. But the focus is still on thanking God. You notice in the company of the upright, in the congregation, Thanksgiving does something to build us up. Your Thanksgiving is meant to build up the people around you. To, to help them become more whole disciples of Jesus. Um, now, that ought to lead to us, I think, to the most natural application of all, which would be to say, here we are. We're in the company of the upright. <laughs> because of God's mercy, here we are. We're in the company of the upright. We're in the congregation here. Okay, something like that. And these people that are around you, they need your thankfulness. They need to hear your thankfulness to God. Uh, it's, a, it's part of the way that God intends for us to become more like him is by hearing the thankfulness that you have to God from one another. Um, I know, uh, particularly here, you have just such a wonderful way of milling about after and before the service. Wonderful. It is wonderful. And let me encourage you to make it a time of thanksgiving. Not just this week, but every week, where we're not just sort of giving just kind of generic life updates on how are things going, how's the job, how are the kids, but specifically pointing to the goodness of God in your life for the specific things that are going on. There could not be a more faithful, appropriate, immediate response than afterward to get up and go to someone you haven't met or someone you have never met and say, you know, there's something I'm thankful for this week. It's X, Y, Z. I don't know what it would be. It's probably going to take some thinking if you're anything like me. Now, that's the prompt of thanksgiving. Wholehearted, meaningful, authentic, gladness toward God, thankfulness toward him for the things that he's doing. In the congregation of the, or sorry, in the company of the upright, all the way up to the congregation, everywhere. Now, but specifically, to build up one another. Next, we see the pattern of thanksgiving. This is in verses 2 through 8. It's sort of the bulk of the passage. I'll read it again. And I want you to listen for sort of repeated ideas very basic Bible study technique, repeated ideas, repeated words, um, patterns of thought here, what themes sort of emerge. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who feed him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving him the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Do you hear? What is the focus of this psalm, of the bulk of it? First of all, it's just all about God, isn't it? It's all about God. It's about who he is. And, and of course, the next thing is, what about him? Well, first, the word that you probably hear repeated most often, maybe it's because I was emphasizing it, but it's the word works. God's works, his deeds. We see that, some, I think, five or six times here in these, these few short verses. The idea, this, that word is the focus of almost every verse in that whole section. And second, well, what about those works? What about those deeds? Well, in every single case, we see that the, the works that God has done immediately bring God's character to light for God's people. 
we read things like this. He has causes wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Again and again in this example, uh, God's people, or the pattern is simple, God's people experience his works or they remember them or they read of them or however it happens to, to come to their attention, it causes them to give thanks for God's character. This is what God has done and therefore he, he must be this kind of God. This is what he has revealed to us about himself. It says God works, God's works are great. God's works are full of splendor and majesty. God's righteousness endures forever. God's works are wondrous. God is gracious and merciful, powerful, faithful, awesome, holy. This is not sort of generic praise to a generic deity that is out there in the ether sort of being good, <laughs> generically. No, it's, it's specific praise to God for the way that his specific individual acts in our lives, in the lives of those around us immediately, and the lives of God's people throughout history have shown that our God is great. As we reflect on all of these things, God is teaching us. I, I hope you notice too that this passage, it, it implies to us as we just experience life as God's people, that we should sort of constantly have sort of a theological reckoning with the way things are going in our lives with primary reference to who he is. Things don't just happen to you. Things don't just happen. God is doing about a thousand things in your life right now and through your life right now, and you might be aware of about three of them, but he's trying to teach you about who he is through all of them. And he has something for you to learn, and in fact, he has something for me to learn through those things. And every single one of your neighbors right now, too. Even if, and so some of those are hard things, right? Some of those are things that we don't feel like giving thanks for in the moment. But we look at those works, we look at the works of God in the past, those around us in our own lives, and we say, ah, oh, we serve a God who does things like this. We serve a God like this. And that should be the way we speak about God, just in general and specifically with one another. This happened in my life and it, it reminded me that God is kind. It reminded me of God's mercy. It reminded me of God's power, of his justice. That's the kind of God we serve. Now, I know many of you, you've uh, been in the area working probably with the same people for quite a long time. I know just looking out here, some of you have been in the same job for a long, long time. And I was just sort of reflecting on this and thinking, um, there are probably people that you've worked with for a long time and you've known them for, for long enough that you, you just sort of have personal conversation with them, you start to sort of learn about their lives, you're showing an interest in that kind of thing. And sort of I was imagining if you, you knew a man for quite a long time like that, and over time you'd sort of ask him, hey, how's, how's it going at home? How's your, how's your wife doing? And uh, periodically you'd just sort of check in, ask those kind of personal questions, and I was trying to imagine what if every single time you asked something like that, you just got sort of generic responses. Oh, she's good. She's fine. Oh, great. Oh, what's she like to do? She likes coffee. Everyone likes coffee. Okay. What's her favorite restaurant? I, I don't know. You just got kind of just, just generic, almost disinterested sort of responses. Over time, you'd begin to think, does this guy even know his wife very well? If a decade goes by, you'd begin to say, I is this guy even married? 
who is he talking about? Does this person even exist? <laughs> but what if instead you ask that guy how his wife's doing, how's, how's home life, how's your wife, and he tells you what he loves about his wife, what her character is like, not, not in generalities but with specifics. By the way, by the way men, uh, did you know that some of the most important words that you speak about your wife are the words that you speak to, about her to your buddies? Anyway, it's clear he knows this woman. He, he loves her. He's thankful for her, not gen- generally, not you know, generically, but specifically. It's almost as if you'd already met her. That's how you feel. When you meet her, you say, oh, I feel like I already know you because of the way that he just lavishes praise on this woman. You've seen something of her through that interaction with her. And that's the same thing that has been demonstrated to us in Psalm 111. The God who works wondrously in our lives and in history means for us to proclaim those wonders so that people would get the sense of his presence somehow through us proclaiming the goodness of his deeds, of his works, of his precepts, that's his instruction, to us. Almost like he's in the room with them. And by the way, since we're filled with God's spirit, he is. Uh, And that's the way he designed his church to work too. Uh, It would be, like I said before, difficult to overstate the significance of our personal communion with the Lord. Knowing him, enjoying him, learning from the Bible. I I was just reading this morning in Psalm 119 and I was just struck by how many times in Psalm 119 it's focused on the word of the Lord, but it's also focused on the the heart of the, the one meditating on God's word. And how often it talks about, I'm longing for your word. I'm eager for your word. I love it. I, and all these things. And I had to think, I, I don't love it, if I'm honest. I had to bring my heart to, to the Lord again and say, help me. I, I don't know if I do. Make me like that. It's hard to overstate that kind of, the value and the significance in a person with a soul of coming to the Lord by yourself. But it would be easy to underestimate the effect of belonging to a community of believers just like this and hearing their faithful thankfulness to God, even when it's hard, not perfectly, but watching them on a week-by-week basis, giving thanks to God for specific things going on in their lives, bearing witness to the goodness of God despite their circumstances at times and often because of their circumstances. That is, it takes a whole church to make whole, robust disciples of Jesus. We need one another. Psalm 111 is proof of that. It's not give thanks to the Lord quietly in a shed. (laughs) Give thanks to the Lord in the company of the upright, in the congregation. We need one another to become whole disciples. And God intends to receive glory and praise and honor as we form one another back into the image of thankfulness that he put in us in the beginning that's been marred and broken in each of us by sin. So this pattern of thanksgiving is that we would look at the works of the Lord. We would be aware of them. We would notice them. We'd, we'd read about them in the Bible, how God has worked in the past. We would see them in our own lives. We would hear about them in the lives of one another, and we would give specific praise to God. That, we need to know what God is like to do that, don't we? We need to know more and more about him so that we can say, he's like this, he's like that. This reveals that he is a good God, a, a just God, and so forth. So we can do that, by the way, right after this meeting. That's great. Okay, finally, we see the product of thanksgiving in verses 7 through 10. And, and this, this is sort of the only place in the psalm where it talks about uh, what we do, what we do. Most of it is occupied with what God has done and, and what he is like 
what that reveals about him. Now it talks about how we should respond. See on verse 7, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy, which is a way, it's getting at what we ought to do, isn't it? To say something is trustworthy means worth your trust. Trust it. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. That's the first thing we see that, about how we should respond. Then in verse 10, the fear of the Lord. He calls us to the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Taking those two things together, to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness, that is, to be obeyed happily, and the fear of the Lord. When you put those two together, what, what's the product of thanksgiving that this psalm is actually looking for? It's looking for humble, uh, fearful, reverent obedience to God. In fact, you could almost see this whole psalm as sort of a microcosm of the faithful life, of the Christian life. What happens? God calls, praise the Lord, commands. His, his word goes out. I'm looking for worshipers. I'm looking for those who would praise, right? That's actually what Jesus says in John 4. God is looking for such people. Praise the Lord. And then we see a response. We see a response. We praise him. We see his works. We see his mighty deeds uh, done for us specifically, done for us, our, God's people, for, for people like you and me. And then we respond with, with gratitude, with fear, with reverence, with awe, with obedience. And yet, isn't that simple? <laughs> isn't it easy, guys? <laughs> Don't you feel yourself just always burgeoning with thanks, thanks, thankfulness and thanksgiving? to the Lord, just being like, ah, I see that. His work is good. I see it every single day. I'm overwhelmed with how good he is and all the good things he's doing. And it makes me think he's so just and he's so wonderful and nothing bad happens, right? (laughs) It's not as simple as us hearing, seeing, thinking, obeying. Easy, right? No. Because to become thankful, (laughs) to become whole disciples in the way that we thank God in our hearts of thanksgiving toward him, we don't just need to see more of God's wonders, although that helps, and it is wonderful. We don't just need more knowledge of his character, although we do. Yes, we do. We need thankful hearts. We need thankful hearts. See that back in the first two verses I pointed it out initially, it says, with my whole heart. And then in verse 2, great are God's works studied by all who delight in them. Jesus would tell us, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. To, to become thankful people doesn't just mean to learn a vocabulary of thankfulness. It means to learn a heart of thankfulness. And in fact, I don't know if you notice, some of the most thankful people that I know come from the most, some of the most miserable backgrounds and have some of the most miserable circumstances. And some of the most hardened and privileged people I know come from some of the easiest circumstances. Why is that? Well, even the world around us has, been, has begun to see and sense somehow that living with a sense of gratitude is one of the most important things for you to just have a, a happy life. Um, if you were to Google, like I did this week, thankfulness or gratitude or practicing thankfulness, you'd find these sort of... A, strange meditative practices on, okay, so just get really thankful in your heart. Get a lot of gratitude in there or think about eight things that are good in your life or just sort of generic. 
they see, I, you know, I don't want to laugh because it's, in a way, it's sort of sad, but thankfulness, we need to learn, every single one of us in the world, that thankfulness isn't something that we first achieve, it's something that we must first receive. See, our hearts don't just need mending, our hearts need replacing. That's what the Bible says. We need to exchange with the Lord our heart of grumbling, our heart of discontentment, and he willingly gives us forgiveness and a brand new heart of gratitude, thankfulness, and joy. Now, that begins with owning up to the fact that we have a problem. Thankfulness is not the default position of our souls. Um, we should be, we should be, as the psalmist is teaching us, be looking at the world with eyes of faith, seeing that everything that comes our way is coming by the hand of a faithful Father who will always take good care of us. And to receive every single thing in our lives as if, you know, that's true, because it is. Instead, if you're anything like me, you often find yourself in a, in a state of spiritual entitlement. Often, finding in yourself a simmering sense of discontentment with the way your life has turned out so far. And I don't know how often it is for you. I think about my little son this morning getting sick on the kitchen floor and I'm on my knees bleaching the kitchen floor this morning and here are the kinds of thoughts that come to my mind. I don't deserve this. <laughs> Am I the only one? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, what? What in the world? Or come on, who am I talking to? This, this under, it's not at the surface all the time, but simmering there, a feeling like life should be better. Life ought to be easier. My kids should be sleeping right now. <laughs> or they should be healthy, or they should be quiet, or whatever. But the gospel tells us two incredible things. First, that our lack of thankfulness has made us God's enemies. We are so sinful that nothing less than the death of the Son of God could put us right. And second, that's the bad news, by the way, and that tells us, I hope you hear, if that's true, and it is, that's what the Bible consistently tells us across the whole thing, that we're not just sort of good people in need of a little bit of help, but that we're sort of, we're, we've made ourselves enemies of God by turning away from him. What kind of life do we deserve? We bring up that morally freighted language when things are going wrong. We say, it should be going better. It should be going better. The bad news of the gospel is we're, so, we're, we're worse than we could ever imagine. And we deserve worse than we could ever imagine. But there's good news. The second truth is that through that sacrifice, through Christ's sacrifice, the only truly thankful person with a truly thankful heart who ever walked on this earth that God has so wrapped us up in his perfection, in his righteousness, in his thankfulness, that now when God sees you and me, he doesn't see all of that mess, but rather, he actually sees the thankful heart of Christ. And he intends, through covering us with that righteousness, to slowly, over time, through the witness of you and me, next to each other week by week and through our thankfulness to one another and through God's Holy Spirit and through his word within us to work that righteousness from the inside out, from the outside in. 
that he would reach in and take out our heart of stone and begin to slowly mold in us a heart of flesh so that as we experience life, we would, <laughs> we would begin to experience it completely differently. The way to walk through your life with a heart of thanksgiving, seeing things, receiving things, reading about God's wonders of old and having them actually promote thanksgiving in your heart and evoke thanksgiving in your heart for all to hear is by knowing with absolute certainty that everything that comes into your life had to go through Jesus first. Dan Orland says this, "Nothing, nothing can touch you that doesn't touch him. To get to you, every pain, every assault, every disappointment had to go through him. You are shielded by invincible love. Walk around with that. Experience goodness and hardship through that. The invincible love of Christ for you. And you will find, maybe not all at once, but bit by bit, thankfulness. Thankfulness, pushing out, pushing out the feelings of entitlement. Thankfulness, pushing out slowly over time by God's Spirit and His Word, pushing out of the way the feelings of discontentment and anger and how could you do this to me and all of those things that we tend to see bubbling up. Plant this truth deep down in your heart and you'll become more and more a whole disciple of Christ. It will round you out. It will make you exactly who is he has made you to be today. If you bring your heart to him, just like this, with those flaws, those very flaws, do you know how he will receive you? Not with a scold and an angry look. Jesus will receive you with kindness and gladness and joy. It's the whole point. That, that is what he wants most of all. We've confessed our sins Shortly, we're going to take communion and pray together to the Lord. And what he wants most of, us for, for, most of all for all of us today is for us in those things to actually bring our hearts to God, to bring our souls to God in all of our lack of thankfulness, in all of our ingratitude, and ask him, give me again a new heart, would you? And do you know what he will say? I would love nothing more. Let's become that kind of church. Let's become that kind, that kind of atmosphere of grace and thankfulness and gratitude to influence one another toward Christ in this way. So let's go to him now in prayer. Lord, we have seen the glories of Christ um, anticipated in Psalm 111. All the things that we want to aspire to, the things that we know we ought to be and so often fall short of, you have accomplished for us in Jesus, Lord. We recognize that of the many sins we have to confess and we practice each week, perhaps near the, near the core of them is a sense that we have not gotten what we deserve. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for reminding us that we have gotten much better than we deserve and all of life now is a life of grace wrapped in the invincible love of Christ. Lord, push that truth home to our hearts today. Make us those kind of people so that we can become that kind of church, that we could be a whole church, making whole disciples of Jesus so that you, Lord, 
faithful and just, great, full of splendor and majesty, wondrous, gracious, merciful, remembering your covenant forever, that God may receive glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.